I've always believed that you should be the person you wish you had growing up. Me being might give a smaller me the bravery to be a better me. I have to do what I do just so I can convince those who come after me that it's okay to be, even if that thing is different. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Black Mage. You may know Black Mage from Rogue Tenancy and also him performing as Rogue Mage, as Rogue Mage, as Black Mage. So, Black Mage, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to forego the listening to talk about a song that is yet to be written, a battle that is meant to happen. And actually, when this comes out, it will be tomorrow, November 27th. I guess without further ado, let's just start talking about it. I listened to and actually watched on YouTube an earlier rap battle that you had, and that was between you and Homeschool. I'm just curious, so let's kind of dive into how you got into rap battles. When I was real young, like 14, I started writing poetry and music. And then I picked up on battle rap. I was a huge fan of Cassidy. People think I'm crazy for saying that, but it's, I picked up on Cassidy and I was big on freestyle rap at the time, ludicrous and stuff like that. So that's how I got into it. And it it was something different when I was younger. And so I stopped out of high school into college. A decade goes by and battle rap has changed, but I jumped back into the scene to help a guy get the scene started. I won't say I I didn't miss a beat because things were completely different, but here we are. I'm battling one of the bigger names in battle rap today. You mentioned that it's different now than it was back then. Like, how is it different? There was a culture, but like this is pre-smack because I'm 33, right? So when I started finally being able to really do, because I started like, you know, online between the ages of 15 and 17 or 18. But once you become an adult and you can travel and you're in college and you can do stuff, that's when you really start to do it. I did it for a little bit and then I found myself out of it while I was doing other things. And it's it's different now simply because everybody's got a camera on them. It's a different media culture. The culture of media has changed almost in its entirety. And battle rap seems to fit into the picture more than it did back then i mean maybe this is the simple question but what is battle rap ha battle rap is when two individuals oppose each other in a number of manners actually i believe when battle rap started way back in the day it was just who could rock a crowd more so it would be two groups or two acts 
and they would be in a room trying to get the crowd hype. And I could be off on this, but I'm pretty sure it started with KRS-One was battling someone and they rock the crowd and then they step outside and then someone runs to the door while they're talking to people outside and says, you got to come back inside. This guy's dissing you. They run back inside and KRS-One is insulting this guy and the crowd is just eating it up. So, you know, it's, okay. it's been a lot of things, but now it is like an arena where samurai go to battle. It's usually just one person versus another. Is there Typically. ever like multiple? Or there are two it... V2s. I've seen battle royale matches. I think No Coast, New England did a match where there was four people and you could insult any of the four or I think it was, it was either four or six, but there's a lot of people in it. I'm sure it was a hard one to be in as well as a hard one to judge, but it, it happens most of the time, though. It's about the 1v1, just like any other. Now, does the crowd vote on it at the end, or is it determined by someone <laughs> the who... The crowd votes the whole time. Okay. <laughs> and then afterwards, it's an amazing thing. I will say that. It's an amazing thing. There are judged battles, and most battles are unjudged, but they leave it to the audience a lot of the time simply because judged or unjudged, it will always be controversial. Preference, gotcha. that's they, they talk about relatability and believability. Mm. Preference is a huge thing. If I'm not huge on believability, so if I throw that out the window and somebody outwraps you as a judge, they could they could beat you to me. Even if you were better, if they outwrap you and you're like, well, they didn't seem believable. Uh, okay, but you know, I don't believe you're gonna do any of this stuff you say so what does believability mean to you <sighs> believability to me means nothing but as a law in battle rap uh, to me believability is your ability to sell the image you're portraying to the crowd okay that's what it is and that's and that's what charisma is that's what shows of charisma are it's who could sell their act better and it's one of the reasons I tell people you're not battling your opponent, you're really just going out and trying to jump your best hurdle, you know? Uh -huh. I, I'm not racing you, I'm racing myself. And if the hurdles I jump on my day, on this day, happen to be bigger than the hurdles you jump on your day, mm. then I won. Because it's not about whether I beat you, it's about convincing the crowd I beat you. Me, mm. once you become a fool, a bard, a jester, once you become that as a character, you realize that the only one truly laughing is the fool. So I don't go out to battle my opponent to win to the audience or myself. I go out to jump hurdles. And that's how I win every battle that I step into. Because at the end of the day, it's all objective. I watched your battle versus homeschool. Describe a little bit about what's going on because it's you facing your opponent and you're surrounded by people that are reacting are um and welcome and to the gulag it is it, it's i mean in some ways it's it feels so chaotic and i'm wondering if that is is your feeling as well because in some ways it's i almost feel like part of the biggest struggle i, I mean from my perspective would be how do you keep your own wits straight and your words straight in the midst of all of that distraction? Because it's not only are you facing off an opponent that is making their own thoughts about how to defeat you, so to speak, but you've got people that react, some good, some bad. Describe what that's like. <laughs> well, 
it's like public speaking. That's essentially what this is, right? It's public speaking. I have a prepared statement. You have a prepared statement. They may or may not be able to morph, right? Like there are freestylers and there are writers and there are writers that can freestyle and freestylers that can write. So on any given day, you might be getting 60% writing, 40% what I came up with that day mm. or vice versa, right? So really it's just, I show up, you show up, two bards, they bring their toolkit and they try to paint a portrait of the other person negatively, better than the portrait that is painted of them. And so there are a number of ways to do that. So they break people into sections where there are punchers, where those are people who just have really, really heavy punchlines, uh, real, real punchline heavy rappers. Uh, there are schemers people who will build up a scheme and then work you through a scheme. And then there are anglers, someone who will take an angle on an opponent or try to paint a specific portrait of this person as a certain way. So like a, a scheme would be like, I battled K Venom and I did a series of punchlines, but all of the punchlines were related to poisons. Oh my, and okay. So that would be a scheme, whereas an angle is homeschool was a christian so i questioned christianity this is so interesting like i know that i was going to come into this w not knowing a ton and i knew that i would have a few things that i i would be like okay that was totally something i didn't expect but that's something i wouldn't have expected like that there are well, I mean, I knew, yeah, I knew that there were strategies, but I didn't think of it in terms of categories. It's almost like if somebody who's never seen baseball before tries to figure out that game. Mm -hmm. What do you do to prepare for a rap battle? Uh, that is a good question. Mm. And when I figure it out, I will let you know. Okay. Um, well, you you re legitimately, one of the reasons when it comes to being a bard, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who makes art, it requires a certain amount of irrational arrogance mm. because in a world full of people who are all good at things who are you to believe that what you do is any more or less great than another bard right yeah millions of people out there and so what perplexed me for this is that my john dos battle i was planning on getting out early i was gonna freestyle he would probably win because he would write more and i'd lose well, then he got on my nerves and he starts sharing all these pictures and he's talking about me and I'm like, all right, so I'm not going to lose to this guy. So I show up and I, I destroy him. Right. And then the next guy, Teach, he shows up and I, he pisses me off. So I'll wipe him out. The third guy beat me and he beat me because I beat myself. He didn't say anything leading up to the battle and the other two mm. opponents angering me made me forget that I wasn't there to like win. I was trying to get the scene going. So when this guy who's done and said nothing to bother me is standing in front of me, I'm like, I didn't want to be here in the first place, remember? And now mm -hmm. I'm about to take this opportunity to move forward away from somebody who really wants it when people have no idea how little preparation I do for battle rap. When I say I'm a vessel for battle rap, uh. like I don't sit, my typical writing session every sunday i go to fight night with my buddy because he's got fight island I, you know, I have i do a lot of things throughout my week but that sunday is kind of my time so i'll just go to the fights and if i have a battle with somebody at some point i'll just like pull up an untitled document and just start tapping away at some areas to poke at you know and then 
Fight Island might go anywhere from two to three hours if it's a short one to like four or five if everybody shows up and everybody's healthy. And so end of a two or three hour session, I might have two and a half verses on accident because I'm so used to doing so many things at once that I can write while I'm watching a fight. Arguably my best performance against K Venom, I wrote in two and a half hours, maybe three. The rest was just shaving it down. Like I don't have to go to a place my brain just understands these things as a concept. Like it mm. understands what it's doing. And my job is to connect with the, t- the material that's being fed to me. The hardest part of what I'm saying is learning to believe what I'm saying. Mm. Because it's almost like it's not coming from me. It's coming from the, the force that is hip hop. It's like, you are the only person who can say this at this time and it must be said so Guess who? One of the things that I love about your approach is you approach it with that element of nerddom. You you know you, what the, you know what it is. I don't approach it from an area of nerddom. Huh? I approach it, but I am a nerd, uh, and thus that comes through in everything I do. I didn't you. make the persona Black Mage. It just kind of came about. The entire metaphor of Black Mage was perfect throughout my youth going into battle rap because I first I start off writing poetry and then I get into battle rap and I have to have a name, right? I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan. I was a small kid growing up. I was very mm-hmm. small and I was very skinny. And so the black mage was just this tiny character. It was a wizard and you couldn't see in. It was just all black with glowing yellow eyes popping out, right? Mm. Like an eight bit character. And it had no defense. It was weak, right? But uh. it had crazy powerful magic. It could wipe out a whole party before the party got to you. Now, if you get to him, you don't have to hit him more than two or three times for him to go down, but if he has a tank, which is what, you know, you put a tank in front of a black mage, you Uh. can't get through the tank. He's just wiping out waves of your people while the tank stops everything that pops up. And so I'm like black mage, I'm small, but I come in, I set everything on fire and I leave. It's perfect. This, This was kind of like a 14 year old's joke a long time ago that evolve it was a great description for me and over time it grew not in that i pursued it like i don't go out and collect these things the cloak that i wore a friend made for me and it's actually really warm it helps like if you're in chicago yeah yeah oh yeah the hat i didn't get that hat that hat was acquired for me by a friend during an adventure right like I was given this wizard hat and it's actually really cool. I teach at the U of I sometimes. And when I'm uh, in between stuff, I'll go to the quad and I'll bundle the cloak up Uh and put it under my head. This hat, the brim is just wide enough that when you breathe, the air can escape. So it Mm. doesn't get hotter in there, but it covers not just your head, but a good portion of you. And I'll just lay down on the cloak and put the hat over my face and just sleep Mm. on the quad. It works. I didn't go out and search any of this stuff down. It found me. Following your your earlier metaphor or your continuous metaphor of the Black Mage. So, what is your tank? What is the tank that goes This with it? is what people don't understand is amazing about what I do. <laughs> when I'm in battle rap, battle rap is a coliseum. When you're in a game, when you're playing a Black Mage, you can strike an opponent and wipe them off the board before they have a chance to do anything. When you're in battle rap, your opponent gets to go, period. Mm. So I have to assume that by the end of every round, I will be reduced to zero hit points. My only way to beat you 
is to reduce you to zero hit points mm. in a manner more spectacular. Barbarians and fighters often don't realize the advantage that they have when people talk the power scale because like wizards run out of spells barbarians don't run out of swings they just keep swinging mm -hmm. you see what i'm saying uh you yeah. have hit points you have defense i don't if i'm forced to take physical damage it's gonna suck mm. i honestly couldn't understand how people couldn't beat me when we first started it just tell me a little bit about what are the general rules is there is there anything off limits or is it just here's the thing is there is nothing that is off limits, but the culture itself is its own living organism. And you have to deal with the repercussions of what you say in that circle, because at the end of the day, you have to deal with the, the life outside that circle. And life mm -hmm. outside that circle isn't always 100% linked to not only the rules, but themselves. Some people are irrational. You could do something wrong that you didn't even know you did wrong mm -hmm. get hit and you'll look on twitter and see everybody on the culture saying nah that was disrespectful he should have known not to look at his phone while his opponent was rapping and now and and so now like you know what are, what are you gonna do from what i can tell is you're traveling to all these different locations to have a rap battle in each circumstance you're walking into a whole set of rules that you may not be aware of yeah there are general rules i would say general rules to battle rap right most people's attention span falls between two and a half to three minutes around after three minutes is the point of diminishing returns meaning no matter how good you are rapping your returns it's it's not as spectacular as it would be because of how much spectacular was before during heavier battles you know you can go up to like five minutes but usually five minutes is reserved for a one rounder, mm. right? So, right. you know, you typically you agree to rounds beforehand. You, you might agree to a format. This is a freestyle battle. Everything must be entirely off the top of your head. Or if that is not a parameter, then I would assume that anything goes, which means you could write or you could freestyle or you could use a combination. Those are general rules. Also, one rule is something that uh, people are going to say offensive things to you. Right. You, you must reconcile with that. Now... How you behave is not under law, but you must deal with those consequences. So somebody can say something to you and you can overreact or somebody can say something to you. You can react and the culture can have your back. It's a line you have to walk, but you must be resolute when you walk in. I would say you are a bad battle rapper if you don't think that at some point someone will say something to you that you are going to have to steal yourself against. A lot of the time, what we're doing is glancing material, playing off the character you've built. But sometimes we cut to who you are, either on purpose or by accident. So whatever right. you do, steal yourself. Be resolute because things happen. When you write, I'm, I'm fascinated by the you know references that you make and obviously your rhymes the way that you match those up with your your thoughts and, and turn those also into like an insult at the same time how do you start if you're going to write it at what point do you start or do you come up with like i'm heading in this direction and i want that to be the punchline or do you do you i mean do you write the joke I got just you. for the punch uh, punchline um it works a lot of people that study battle rap 
will say that I'm a hard person to beat clear. Mm. It's, it's usually debatable and it's because of how I design my attack, right? Because it's the designed attack, but I also have the ability to morph the uh, designed attack. I call it building a molecule. Mm. And so I will take a person's, let's say I'll take a person's name, right? Like I battled, when I battled Deadbeat, it was the last molecule I built, I think. I put his name down on the paper. And then I drew three lines. And each round, what did I want the major focus of that round to be? So I thought, what am I going to do? How do I attack the root of who this person is? And so mm -hmm. once I had those subjects, I made three legs off of each subject. A lot of people can rebuttal in battle rap. So what I do is you build distractory points. You build points that distract from the major arc so that they spend time rebuttaling the tiny points that you made and not the whole of your argument. Attempting to rebuttal is essentially them sending a blade and trying to cut it down. Well, if they're aiming for what they see and what they happen to see is like a bud, a leg of the argument, they can cut the leg off and the rest of the organism still survives. Beyond that, there are some things, like uh, the battle with Lex Luthor is particularly interesting. I am a huge anime, comic book, video game nerd, right? And so I feel like I've always believed that you should be the person you wish you had growing up. Me being might give a smaller me the bravery to be a better me. I have to do what I do just so I can convince those who come after me that it's okay to be, even if that thing is different. And it will be scary. It'll be frightening to do, but you must do it because... I mean, that's our responsibility. It's literally our only responsibility in this life is to be us because that's who mm -hmm. we're supposed to be. Lex Luthor slides across the board and I go, oh, I have to battle him. I don't think there is a person. Oh, this is going to be an arrogant phrase, but I think I have to say it. I don't think there is a person more designed to battle Lex Luthor than me. There are people who know comics. There are people who know battle rap but there are no people who know who can do both to a degree where they would stake a claim on it like danny myers is a great rapper he's also a known nerd i did an interview with him on a show that i do with another person and we kicked it back and forth over street fighter right but when it comes to bars you know the culture kind of reigns supreme what's weird about me being able to just be me is that most people bend to the culture and I do not bend to the culture. I spent my whole life being different. You know, if you don't want me here, that's cool, but I have something and I think you'll enjoy it. And I think you'll enjoy it more than you will hate me for just being me. Mm. So Lex Luthor slides across my desk and I'm like, I have to battle this guy. I'll, t I'll say this. He's got eight years of battles stemming backwards. I've studied the first four years of those battles and in four years in four years people have touched on two of the things i'm going to touch on and none of them were done well which speaks to how different this is going to be this is going to be different this is going to be a different experience for lex and i think he understands that because he wanted this battle years ago he actually wanted me i battled with this place no coast lex luthor came to no coast and he goes hey i want to battle black mage they give him row right? Because I was still a newer name back then. It was like my first year, right? And he had seen me 
and he resolved to battle me. He's an important guy, so they want to give him big names. I understand. I'm not bitter or anything, right? He turned down Danny Myers. He turned down Chef Trez. He's turning down names. He's like, no, I want to battle Black Mage. And for whatever reason, and, and over a span of two years, I never get him. So he brings me to I battle. I I have three battles and in three battles, I kind of rocket up the list of people who are good. And now I'm battling him on his platform. He made mm -hmm. this happen over years. Wow. He knew he wanted to battle me when he saw me. So it's crazy to me that someone had that much drive to, to battle me because mm -hmm. he hasn't battled on, on iBattle in eight years. I'm going to be his first battle on, on iBattle in eight years. I'm going to wow. be his first battle in two years. He set up two battles recently. Both of them fell through. He was trying to like set up wow. warm up so he could get back in the ring and knock the rust off. Both battles fell through. It's fate, bro. It's destiny. You said that this is in New York, correct? Yes. Wow. So uh, I'm pretty it, sure the building is sold. You, wow. can, you can look for tickets, but I'm pretty sure the building is sold. Wow. You can get the VOD. Uh, I'll, I'll give him, I'll give you a link for that. You can get the video on demand, but uh, you can get the iBattle app. Get the iBattle app iBattle has its own app. You get a subscription and it's crazy what they offer. I'm not even going to talk it up. Just go get it. As a plotter and as a schemer, it, it seems like Lex Luthor is being as clever as you are. So I'm kind of curious how this is all going to turn out. People don't understand what's about to happen. This clash between me and Lex, because me and Lex are both real nerds and we're both real hip hop and iBattle is kind of a nerdy league. Not in that it's 100% nerdy, but that in nerd is understood there. So it's accepted mm. and it's even not frowned upon. It's, it's smiled upon. But I think this is the first time that we have had the culture for a battle like this to happen because I might drop the most legendary comic book round in battle rap history. I'm not talking about a bar. This is why I give Lex Luthor the second because in my second, I'm going to talk comic book shit. And he knows I'm going to talk comic book shit, which means he has all of the time in the world to prepare for that counter. But right. again, I'm not doing this because I want to win. I'm doing this Lex Luthor battle because hip hop deserves this Lex Luthor round. Right? If, if there is an individual named Lex Luthor, I am the person to deliver this comic book bridge. It's going to be crazy. You know, what I do it speaks to the core of who I am. I often train new artists, young bards, whether it be they speakers, painters, whatever. I try to tell them that being a bard, being a musician, being an artist, it is about how much of yourself you are willing to sell because that's what you're selling. The product is irrelevant. You're selling yourself. How much of yourself are you willing to sell? because you must be able to live with what remains. This battle that I'm having, this was an accidental battle rap career and this almost feels like the culmination. It almost feels like the last battle, you know? And if it were, it's amazing that I get to dedicate it to something as important as comic books something that's been in my life. Like who would have thought that battle rap would bring me to the point where I would get to poetically discuss comic books in public and not, not just do it in public, but like it's streamed. People are subscribed. They're watching live. I, uh, me versus homeschool got 5k views in a month. People actually want to see this. It's, it's again, it's that arrogance of a bard. Why me?
Mm-hmm. But I hope that like the second round is a legendary comic book round and I wanted to dedicate it to DC and the DC writers because, you know, without DC, we wouldn't have Lex Luthor. We would still have Lex Luthor, the person, you know, we would still have Alex, mm. but we wouldn't have Lex Luthor. He would be some other battle rap name. And while there are a million other, you know, things that he could have been, comic books was such a huge part of my life. And those writers did something great for me in teaching me how to grow up with or giving me the opportunity to grow up with heroes to look up to with high morals and values and hopes and things of that nature. It's like being able to give something back to them because I don't know if comic books ever made themselves with the thought that they would be involved in other media, like make their way into rap or hip hop or I don't know if they knew about all of the lives they would touch, but sometimes the bleed over is is great. So I hope that I can get some people who write for DC to see this second round and say, this this kid has been following us for 70 years. Not that I've been alive 70 years, but that I've been reading all of their comics, man. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004, carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. So, Black Mage. Yes. Do you have a favorite Champaign-Urbana venue? It can be a house show. It could be one that doesn't exist anymore. It could be a commercial venue. Whatever. Ma'am. I gotta say Canopy Club. I have to say Canopy Club. But I'm also biased because I used Mm -hmm. to run Tabletop Tuesday. It it was hard to to find Dungeons and Dragons games. There were some game stores, right? But like, that wasn't me. I actually got to run a Dungeons and Dragons event weekly out of Canopy. And to me, that that will always make that place special. I kind of remember that. So like, how did that get started? C. LaCole, C.C. Stewart, she bumped into me. She's like, hey, you could run Dungeons and Dragons out of Canopy. She said you could run tabletop games. And I said, I could run D&D. And she said, bet. And then like, I was like, cool, that was just a bump, right? And then, you know, I get a message. Hey, so this is the night we have for you. And I'm like, oh, this is real. I saw a post that a friend had made. I went onto that post, sourced 30 people mm. through the, all of those names on a document. And then I went through and messaged them all, threw them all into one chat after I'd messaged them all. The chat whittled down, that chat became the first night of Tabletop Tuesday. Started promoting that kind of online. Ran it for probably two years before COVID. I think COVID killed Tabletop Tuesday, not uh, attendance. So was it 
D&D or did you do any other kind of games uh, well, as well? Well, someone else showed up. They did Warhammer. But mostly I was doing a beginner's D&D game. There were so many people who wanted to get into D&D that didn't know how. And I am a rare breed of good at D&D and also sociable. Those things usually conflict a little bit. And so I got everybody together and I promise you my first day, I did a session zero and then I ran a 13 person game of Dungeons and Dragons. It was astonishing to me. How does that even work? That seems like... You know what? It was actually easier than a normal game because there were so many people that the group elected to stick together naturally. A lot of times in D&D, your players fight the narrative, but everybody wanted to be able to do something. So they chose to stay together. Once everybody had played like that, we mm-hmm. then split into three or four smaller groups. And so we had groups of people that would rotate, DMs would rotate. And so these were people uh, who have played D&D and I was huge with D&D. Dimmit, another guy who helped me, was huge with D&D. Everybody else relatively new. And mm-hmm. so this was us teaching a new generation of people how to play. And then once they learned, you know, they they wanted to try their hand at DMing or be ridiculous, goofy characters, stuff like that. And it was crazy because once Tabletop Tuesday stopped, we actually had house games. Well, I'm going to roll for initiative here and ask you, so when did you get into D&D? Did I use that right? <laughs> uh, sort of. <laughs> I just, I, that was the only word I could think of. So. Roll for initiative? <laughs> yes, uh, you, you just started combat, so that's tough. But basically... Well, I guess you didn't start combat. You could start the rounds. I got into D&D a long time ago. It was a very weird story. When I was in middle school, I met a man named Barrick Outlaw. And that is on the record. Uh, Barrick, if you're out there, I love you. I met a man named Barrick. And he took me to a single D&D group game, sixth grade. And we were friends for about a year, maybe a year and a half. But, you know, the friendship disappears. Well, fast forward, I'm just out of high school in college. I meet this guy named Tyler Sellers. And he invites me to his D&D group. And I'm forever grateful for that because I knew where I was going to be. In a world where consistency is difficult to obtain, I knew where I was going to be between noon and 10 p.m. every Sunday. There was no doubt up in my mind where I was going to be at that time. Other stuff was fluid. Would I be working? Would I not? I don't know. Oh, am I going out with friends? I know what's happening on Sunday. I'm going out to Sydney and I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. I then played it from like 19 or 20 to like 26 or 27. The The guy who ran it was doing too much and going through too many health problems mm-hmm. for us to like keep going continuously. And then two years later, one of my friends, the only other black person I had played D&D with up until this point, he comes to me and he goes, hey, I've been watching this uh, guy, Dan Harmon. He has this thing called Harmon Quest. Yep. I wanted to try D&D. My, my girl bought a kit. We're not good. I was like, I got you. I took the kit, looked at it. I was like, I can do better. And mm-hmm. I just created this world for them. And I, you know, the world that we run at Tabletop, the world that I still run for multiple people called Tower City is my, uh, Tower City Adventures is my thing that I run. But, you know, I also have a whole world. But Tower City is like the focus, the major city for where I run from. And that world has been... I've been working on that world for a decade now. Wow. It's kind of crazy. I have a lot. I have characters. I have, there's history. There's lore. Players have affected the world in such a way that things that players did years ago affect new players. 
because every time I play through a generation, it adds to the story of Tower City. I know that I'm going to be switching gears a little bit here, but I really think it's something important for people to reflect on and think about is, and we can apply this to a music scene as well as a gaming scene, is like, what to you makes a good community? (sighs) Understanding. Understanding makes a good community. So much of this world is confusing. I I live my life by a a rule called the 30-30-40 rule. Where I say 30% of men, just trash. 30% of women, just trash. 40% of people, confused pack creatures following the closest thing next to them. So at any given moment, you can have a catastrophic error of margin. Right? Like, you can just have a large group of people doing the absolute wrong thing. Why? Because, you know, one person was an idiot and the rest of them followed that idiot. They're not bad people. People forget that the other half of nature is nurture, right? People don't just appear and then become, they are made. I think what makes a good community is understanding because as long as you never forget that most issues come down to misunderstanding, you can survive as a community. But Mm -hmm. the moment you forget that we're supposed to be trying to understand each other and not railroad each other, the moment you forget that, that's when the community is lost. Because it's only a matter of time before the mob comes for you. Mobs don't listen. People forget that a person is smart. People are not. Because people is multiple persons thinking they all understand the same thing the same way. Mm. Nope. If I say freedom and you say freedom, that might mean two different things. But me and you can get together under the banner of freedom and work towards a goal and then get to the goal and realize that now we have to fight over the fact that we misunderstood a small but key piece of understanding. So everything that we built together is destroyed by that small piece that is somehow beyond our reach of understanding, of hashing it out with each other. There are a a lot of good communities out there for battle rap, but I think I battle and no coast have incredible communities because they are so accepting of whoever, you know? And I think that's why they saw the explosion of talent that they saw is because they were willing to give people a chance to be themselves, realizing that anything can be spectacular. People talk about relatability. One of my favorite lines is from Talib Kweli in I Try with Mary J. Blige. He had a line that affected me at a very young age. He said, although we speak in different languages, we're all pretty familiar with what anger is. Mm. Our understanding goes so far beyond speech. We are, and a lot of people will dispute me on this, but they're just being well technically. Humans are the only thing on the planet capable of complex verbal communication. We must behave like there's a reason for that. Mm. Like, and people talk about dolphins and people talk about all sorts of animals, but we, t- we right. took speech to another level. We really did. So we have to behave like there's a reason we can talk. Even in the midst of the current coronavirus pandemic, the Jubilee Cafe is continuing to serve packaged home-cooked meals free to all every Monday evening, 5 to 6.30 p.m. 
meals are available for pickup outside the 6th Street door to the Community United Church of Christ in Champaign, Illinois, 805 South 6th Street. Jubilee Cafe's mission remains the same. Feed hungry people by cooking healthy and delicious meals. We are open to anyone who cares to receive a meal. For information on the meal or how to volunteer, go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email us at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, Black Mage, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? It's tough. It's going to be like it's like a two-way tie, three-way tie between video games, anime. Oh my goodness. Video games, anime, comic books, skateboarding. Oh wow. Those okay. are the things that I would boil it down to. Do you have a favorite anime series? I favorite is so tough because Ninja Scrolls will always have a special place in my heart because it's what got me into anime. It was like the first thing that I saw. I was real young. This was before Adult Swim. You know, Full Metal Alchemist is is up there, up there. Cowboy Bebop is up there, up there. But low key, My Hero Academia is making a strong play. My Hero Academia and One Punch Man both made strong plays. Not necessarily for the story, but for, oh, oh, Yu Yu Hakusho might be my favorite. How about that? Yu Yu Hakusho might so, be my favorite. So what about, what what makes it your favorite is just like storyline, the animation? I've watched what? a lot of anime in my life and there are few anime that have moments in my life where I can remember where I was when I saw them, mm. right? I've watched a lot of Cowboy Bebop. There is no Cowboy Bebop moment. I remember it as a blur on Adult Swim. And then I had it on DVD. I had the collection, right? But it, it didn't ring like with a place. Ninja Scrolls does because I was real, real young living in Champaign. It was my first. Yu Yu Hakusho was the first thing I could remember beyond a place and beyond a time. It was a moment. And they did it so masterfully. It was the very first episode. The very first episode of Yu Yu Hakusho is a masterpiece to me because it paints a portrait of a delinquent that no one cares about and then puts him in a violent relationship with the other one and then immediately turns it on its head. So Yusuke is like, you know, just a young punk. He fights, gets kicked out of school, does what he wants. You know, there's mm -hmm. one girl that likes him that can talk to him and stuff like that. There's this other kid, Kuwabara, who's just like a punk from the same school or a different school nearby. I can't remember. Yusuke beats everyone up that tries to fight him. And this kid's like 13, 14 and a man got hands, right? So Kuwabara has a little gang and he wants to run down on Yusuke and Yusuke always beats him up. Always. He's beaten this kid up like 50 or 60 times, right? This is first episode. Yusuke dies. First episode, right? And so they go to Yusuke's funeral. Kuwabara shows up. Kuwabara has his, his two goons trying to pull him to another place. And Kuwabara is extremely angry. He storms into the funeral and he's storming up to the casket with his friends trying to drag him off because he's screaming at Yusuke because he's angry. 
He says, who am I supposed mm. to fight now? Like his heart was broken. And it was this guy he fought every day that he was supposed to not like and have no respect for. But when he heard that that guy died, he showed up like crying to his funeral, trying to fight him in his casket. Mm. It was just like one of the most heartfelt moments. And it's episode one. Huh. I was like, okay, that was, that was a crazy important way to make someone care. Sorry to bring it all back around, but that sounds a lot like rap battles, right? Huh. But, right? Like, yeah, you, you, yeah. I mean, it, the whole nature is about fighting each other, but in some ways there's a respect. And yeah, like, you build relationships with fighters because, you know, you have seen something that not everyone has seen. It's an experience. Just mm -hmm. like just like fighting, it, uh, battle rap is an arena because emotional battery is real. Like, emotions are very real. And so you sign up to just kind of be screamed at. These are the worst things people can think of and large amounts of people are enjoying it. Mm. being said about you that is a weird place to be emotionally mm. you know but the fool again learns that the laugh comes from finding the meaning in everything this is mm. all a comedy if if all of this is what it is then that's hilarious you know no matter what you believe if you believe in creationism and all of this was made and this is what we got. That's kind of funny. If you believe, if you're an atheist and you believe strictly in science and the Big Bang happened and that randomly we got here, that's hilarious. Huh. So just don't root yourself too close to the picture. Remember that you didn't control the picture. You get a very small portion of the outline of yourself. Mm. Because ultimately, the world, fate, destiny, they play a larger portion in our existence than we do. You know, where you are born, the first 18 years of your life is important. It's shaping. And nobody chooses where they're born. And people can talk about the choices that we can make and the actions that we can take when, you know, things are put in our hands. That's all fine and well. But you're not even responsible for the actions you take and the choices you make until well after seven years old when you're rooting to the world. Do you have a favorite comic book series or are we going to get into the whole, uh, you know, DC versus Marvel or? I morphed through life. I've had among my favorites, Captain America was my favorite for a while. Hawkeye mm. was my favorite for a while. Silver Surfer, Spider-Man, Batman, Molecule Man, Doctor Doom, Wolverine, Venom. Electra. I've had many favorites, right? But I wasn't really that. I'm a run, an issue mm. guy. Like, I like stories. I can love your character and hate your story. Miss mm. Marvel did that. I collected nearly mi every Miss Marvel run, and I can like your character and hate your stories. I wanted to like Miss Marvel so bad, but there's a reason it's the most rebooted comic book in history to me there are stories that transcend favoritism there are obvious ones like the death of superman but less obvious ones are the molecule man was my favorite concept mm. because i think it resonated with me and it should resonate with the untapped potential in millions and that molecule man was essentially a scientist who accidentally poked a hole in a universe. And that universe shot some energy through to him and he got this power, right? He could control inanimate objects, all inanimate objects, right? Now he was a mama's boy. He was picked on a lot. So he had low self-esteem, that sort of thing. Molecule Man is in the universe for years and his power is so great that when the secret wars hit, the very first one, 
when the secret wars hit and the villains are fighting the heroes, Molecule Man picked up the entire Colorado Rockies and dropped it on the heroes effortlessly. When I say he controls inanimate objects, he controls inanimate objects to a scale that's ridiculous. <laughs> Turns out this power he had was a fraction of an entity called the Beyonder. And in the Secret Wars, that's what they deal with. Well, Dr. Doom steals the Beyonder's power. Molecule Man is getting ready to square up against him because they don't know how this is going to play out. And he pops up in front of Molecule Man. And he goes, I have a greater understanding. Doom is like, this isn't a fight no more. Y'all don't understand. This isn't a fight. You're not even going to win. If I don't want you to exist right now, you don't. But let me teach you something that you didn't know about yourself. And he opens up Molecule's mind and Molecule Man realizes he has control over organic matter too. His power was so great that because he believed he couldn't control organic molecules, he couldn't control organic molecules. That's how much power he had is that his will was kind of law. So if you will yourself to be unable to do something, you can't. And it was a great metaphor for the emotional bruising that we suffer growing up in that Molecule Man severed that much of his own power. And then once he got it, he just wanted to be left alone. Hmm. which is what most people want. <laughs> they just want to be able to live. Wow. Uh, but my favorite comic runs, I don't cry often. Like I don't cry from physical pain. I don't cry from anger. There are a few things that make me cry. One of the things that makes me cry, one of the only things that makes me cry, I think, is f seeing people ignore their differences and come together, if you will. Mm. Let's talk about Captain America because that's the comic that shaped me. In... I think it's series four, Captain America, Heroes Reborn. At the beginning of the series, he loses his shield, issue one. Yeah, so he goes through like 1920 issues with facsimiles and shit. Issue 21, he finds it. Mm. Like they bring it to him. I, a submariner found it at the bottom of the sea, right? They hand it to Cap, he drops it, it shatters, bam. Whoops, <laughs> don't know what that was. They put it, you know, take the pieces, tape them up, put them in a case and give them to them. Sorry. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, explosions. Not where they are, but other places. And come to find out, his shield shattering on the ground like that created a vibranium cancer because his shield was made of vibranium. It had been destroyed previously on Battleworld by Doom when he had the power of the Beyonder. Note that it took the power of the Beyonder to break Captain America's shield. The only things that really have broken Captain America's shield in, in mainstream continuity up to like a certain point was like Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet and Doom with the Beyonder's power, right? So they were in a place where they were supposed to get their wishes and his only wish was that the shield was fixed and it was fixed. Well, when it was put back together, one molecule was out of alignment. And that created a slow cancer that had started building over the years. And when he dropped it, it infected the planet. And so vibranium all over the place was exploding. And the explosions were headed to Wakanda. Yep. Oh, that's some, that's yep. some interlaced. Wow. If those explosions got to Wakanda, that's it for the planet, buddy. And so they figure out that the only way to stop these explosions is to destroy the rest of his shield. His shield, what started it, it can catch it. They had this machine that they could hook his shield into and it would reroute that cancer into the shield, but it would atomize the shield. Shield gone forever. And he's like, you know, obviously this isn't a choice. So Claw is a man made of living sound. 
Captain America was one of the only people who could beat him because his shield is vibranium. And people don't know vibranium isn't just like, it's not strong because it's strong. It's strong because it disperses vibration. That's why it doesn't lose speed when it ricochets off things because it instantly disperses the vibration. It just maintains its momentum. That's why it's so powerful, right? And so Claw is a man made of sound. So Captain America's shield is one of the few, sound is vibration. He's one of the few things that can actually beat Claw and Claw smelled this vibration cooking through the earth from a mile away. So Claw races mm. him to Africa, right? And is getting ready to soak up this energy and become the most powerful thing in the universe. The, the power of all the vibranium in Wakanda exploding, so it was probably gonna be the most powerful sound in the universe, right? So Captain America shows up and they're fighting. He sets the machine up, right? And Claw breaks the machine. Cap's punching a man made of sound. Like, what? A, stop it. Stop it, bro. So Claw soaks up the energy in a swirl and turns around with his momentum. And, tur and he's, he's, he's a pink sound, right? So he turns into like this pink stampede because right? he can shape the vibration however he wants. And Captain America picks up his broken shield and he has this monologue. And, the, and this monologue is one of four monologues that changed me forever. He picks up his shield and he sees it with the tape on it. And he says, he's talking to the shield like it's a person. He says, it's funny, I picked you up off instinct, right? And then he says, uh, in its current shape, my shield is a joke. And the energy wave is coming at him. And he says, all I can do, all a man can ever do. And you turn the page and it's a splash page. And it says, is try. And it's Captain America being swept off his feet by a wave of pink energy, right? You flip to the next page and you have like a half page that's a wave. And then you have like four panels, four panels, and then a single splash. And it's so important. I still remember most of the monologue or at least the gist. It says the onslaught hits Captain America like a runaway moon and doesn't stop. It is the loudest sound in the world and it is Captain America's death cry. And then you go down to the panels and, and the panel is the tape slowly burning away from the shield. And it says, Captain America is a man who has sacrificed friends. He has sacrificed family. He sacrificed everything he cares about at one time or another. It comes with the job. He's never expected anything else. It doesn't surprise him. Nothing surprises him except to learn and as you get to the last two panels, you see Captain America say, my, uh, my God. And then the last two panels, it says, nothing ever surprises him except to learn that for all that life takes away from you, occasionally it gives something back. And when you get to the splash page, it's Captain America holding his shield and the whole thing is solid again. And it was a great metaphor because throughout the entire arc, you'd seen him deal with, like he had a glove where he could fire lasers that looked like his shield but they didn't bounce like his shield you know and he could project his little energy disc but it didn't do the same thing vibranium did right he dealt with all those reasonable facsimiles and he did the job and he has given everything to stem the tide from certain disaster is is a, a line used in this spiel and it's interesting because he is a man who represents being greater than the sum of your parts because he doesn't have supreme strength. He has super strength, but you know, just for a human, he's not extra fast. He's faster than a human, 
right? But then he has a shield that does one thing strangely. And that one guy with his abilities, his just little bit of cleverness, and that one almost dimension bending thing, he can solve just about any of your problems <laughs> because it's the only thing he needs. And it's crazy because he had gone so long without the one thing he needed. And life was like, you know what? You can have this back. You can never have a love life. Because if you watch the, if you read comics, you know, you can never have a love life. You can never have a normal life. You can have your shield back. Hmm. And then he uses the shield to beat Claw. And it's like nice. a formative issue. The only issues that come close to that are Green Lantern, the Lantern Corpse War, and Kitty Pride when she phased that bullet through the planet. She had an argument with Emma Frost. Emma Frost joined the X-Men. And Kitty Pride was like, wait a minute, nah, this is a villain. Like, what are y'all doing? And Emma Frost is like, Professor X is dead, shit is different. Kitty Pride says, when you go off the reserve, I'm going to be the one to stop you, just so you know that. <laughs> and so you get through most of the arc, and this giant bullet is being fired at the world. And Kitty Pride grabs the bullet, phases it through the entire planet. But because they fired it, like, there's no way to stop this bullet. Kitty Pride's gone forever, right? Mm. And so Emma Frost is in her mind. She's talking to her. She goes, you know, it wasn't supposed to be like this. It wasn't supposed to be like this. I really wanted to do better. And she goes, yeah, I know. I was the one who was supposed to stop you, remember? And Emma Frost says, you know, I can put you somewhere, somewhere that you don't feel this. And, she, she, and Kitty Pride says, no, no, I want to see this one through. Mm. Uh, and then she says, surprised. And Emma Frost says, astonished. And mm. the, the, it was astonishing X-Men. So it was like a huge moment. Yeah. Are you surprised, Emma Frost? Astonished. It was just a moment of respect from Emma Frost, who was that powerful, to Kitty mm. Pride, who has, a, again, one of those people with a strange power that is really powerful if you can use it well. And Emma mm. Frost gave her that respect before she was fired into oblivion. Uh, like video games. What's your favorite video game? That's a tough one. It's between, like, Final Fantasy is the series that made me. Super Smash Brothers is the series that made me a tournament player for fighting games. Castlevania mm. is the series that formed me, like it was the one I attached to. As far as Nintendo goes, you're either Zelda or you're Castlevania. The, the universes and the lore were too big for both, or you didn't do nothing else, really. But I was a Castlevania fan, so that what a horrible night to have a curse thing I say, that's from Castlevania 2. Final Fantasy, Super Smash Brothers, Castlevania, uh, X-Men versus Street Fighter, which started the tag fighter genre, Virtua Fighter, which is a super slept on underrated fighter. And so once you get into fighters, you get Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. Really, I'm a big fan of co-op games, but I had a brother who was super competitive, so we always had fighting games. MMOs are what solidified me as a gamer. Okay, just if you didn't know, MMOs are massively multiplayer online role-playing game. So, now you know. And I had to look it up. So, there's that. Final Fantasy and stuff like that. Wanting to be a completionist. That was cool. But once I got on a Nexus, Kingdom of the Winds, which was this uh, online MMO, <laughs> I would do 14-hour raids with those people. Yeah. Wow. No bathroom breaks, no nothing. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? If I was the mage, right? And yeah. the mage is the only thing that can paralyze. Creatures spawned by like the dozen. If I lagged for four or five seconds, I could pop up and everybody could be ghosts. Mm. Why are all these dragons moving? My bad. Lagged. So my job was just to keep everything on the screen frozen. So it's just me hitting my spells hotkey to four. 
four enter four over enter four over enter four dad like just across the screen freezing things so that fighters can kill them and we'll get experience as a group wow buddy i was fierce when did you get in, into uh skating then as your last favorite 14 so around the same time i got into mmos if i wasn't playing an mmo i was skateboarding with my buddy life we got into it just before tony hawk hit the 900 because i think no the end came after the nine how did we get into skateboarding we got ourselves a we got a hold of a skate video i can't remember what it was it wasn't minute mod a that was after the end that's an interesting question hmm. i think we just got into skateboarding around the time tony hawk picked up but i know it wasn't because of the nine because we were excited for the nine the nine is in reference to 900 degrees meaning two and a half rotations off of the half pipe i can't remember how we got into it i want to say the very first skate video we watched was birdhouse the end but i thought that was after the 900 hmm. but i remember the moment i knew skateboarding was in the building nice skateboarding up until this point had kind of always been shunted off when tony hawk was trying to land the nine it was after the time had expired and he was just going up and trying it again because he wanted to land it like the competition was over and no one was stopping him but that's not what let me know it that skateboarding was in the building what let me know that skateboarding was in the building was that sal masichella the one like a famous announcer for skateboarding said we just got the word to go over on footage we are live until tony hawk lands this trick once skate and, and baseball was coming up next <laughs> that's how i knew skateboarding yeah. was in the building baseball was coming up and they said no we're live till he lands this the frustration when tony hawk slammed into the ground that la uh, that last time and he mm -hmm. grabs the board and he's walking back up to the to climb back up this half pipe he lands the squirreliest 900 the crowd goes crazy i was like skateboarding is here baby we are mm -hmm. here like we fought nice. for the park that we have. Spalding, me and Leif fought for that park. Like there was nothing for skateboarding when I was young. We couldn't even carry our skateboards through Lincoln Square. Wow. Yeah. And that was crazy because we're like, the, there's no bike racks outside for skateboards, right? If I ride around on my skateboard, what I'm supposed to do if I want to walk into Lincoln Square? Well, you can't have a skateboard in Lincoln Square. Okay, bet. It was really real. Black Mage, thank you for being on the show and chatting with me about your upcoming rap battle, You versus Lex Luthor. I've really enjoyed having this conversation. I appreciate you coming all the way out here. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's This was an enjoyable conversation, and I'm excited to see how this all plays out because I didn't think I'd be here. Here I am. Thank you for listening to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. This is Black Mage reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live.
it's a wrap. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good. Studio on the inside. I got you covered. I am currently on the air. Do, is there anything you want to say to the people? <laughs> 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 I love you very much. <laughs>